but they, um, uh, they're currently on staff as a youth pastor, and they also have, they dabble a little bit in children's ministry, and we're super excited to have them with us. They will be uh, joining the staff uh, middle of August, and uh, we really believe that the Lord has opened up the door uh, for them to be a part of our staff, and cannot wait for you guys to get to know them. Uh, so we'll have something posted online there, and uh, once you see that, you can uh, hunt their names down if you would like to on uh, Facebook. They are on there. It doesn't say their last name on there, but their last name is Stevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S, and uh, we'd love to have you uh, welcome them to Life Church. but you'll see uh, some posts from us here in the near future, so super excited about that. Our student ministry, I know, is going to be thriving under their leadership here in the coming, uh, coming months, so all right, well, if you can, please turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. If you've been a part of Life Church in the last number of uh, months, really since about the middle of April, we've been in a series, Teach Us to Pray About the Lord's Prayer, and we are wrapping the series up. Uh, today, super. Um, uh, I have been so challenged by this myself in studying uh, this. Again, this is the first time I've ever walked through the Lord's Prayer like this. I, I've, uh, as a pastor, right, you talk about praying and you tell people, you know, the Lord's Prayer is fantastic. Uh, but actually going through it really uh, as deep as we have been able to do that has been uh, for me very, very challenging. So turn please to Matthew chapter 6, beginning about verse 9. All right. <clears throat> so it was a Thursday when it happened. Uh, a gathering of leaders in the heat of the day, and uh, 56 men agreed on a course of action on that day that would radically transform the world. They knew that what they were doing was dangerous, their lives potentially at stake, and that was one of the things that they had pledged to one another, uh, that the decisions that they were making on that day were worth uh, even the forfeit of their own lives. But they also knew that what they were embarking on was an act of faith. There was a sense of providence guiding the decisions on that day. So 245 years ago on Thursday, July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. And I'm going to blow your mind. Is it okay if I blow your mind? On the day, like we celebrate July 4th as that day. But the reality is they didn't sign it for about a month, <laughs> so we really should be celebrating in August. But it was July 4th that the Continental Congress agreed together that they would be signing this Declaration of Independence from Great Britain, and uh, on this day, an incredible nation was formed. Now, it's a fascinating story. I encourage you, please, read about the founding of our nation but if we are not careful, we can oversimplify a very complicated and messy process. But in looking at it, you know, where we stand now, it truly was a miracle. Because there was no guarantee that this nation, I mean, think about it, 13 loosely connected colonies going up against the greatest world power that really at that point the world had ever known, there was no way they were going to succeed. And yet somehow, and we believe through God's, God's, uh, God's leading, uh, this nation was formed. Freedom, dignity, uh, representation of all, all important to the people of that day, still important for us today. Now the founding fathers, they were not perfect. Some of the things that they engaged in and did, we look back now and go, wow, that doesn't fit where we are now, 
right? And uh, so cancel culture has even reached back to our founding fathers in a lot of ways, and some of those very, very unfortunate. But there was a common respect, by the way, um, of an understanding, because not all of our founding fathers were Christians as we would understand them to be Christians. Like some of, some of how we express Christ- Christianity like this today would be very, very um, uh, foreign to what they would understand as Christianity. Um, but they would, uh, they would have followed with that a sense that there was a God that was guiding and directing them and directing them to this point of declaring independence from Great Britain and God for them uh, was definitely in the middle of these workings of humanity. Many of the founding fathers did have a profound faith in Jesus Christ, a profound faith that shaped how they believed government should be, how they believed uh, treating other people should be. And we know that what was established um, uh, has had its continued problems, but we still look at this incredible nation. We recognize that God's hand has been upon it from the beginning. And in creating this nation that we now celebrate, the, fir- the foundations were firmly established on a morality that found itself grounded in faith in Christ. That was that, a, that initial grounding of our nation was firmly in the grasp of Jesus Christ. So about 20, uh, what, is, what would it be, about 21 years later, or 22 years later, John Adams, who was our second president of this great nation, he's one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, he was writing a letter to the Massachusetts militia. Uh, there was an upheaval happening, and they were trying to figure out what was going on, even back then in this young nation, of how to keep the foundation strong. And this is what he wrote. He said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. That's a pretty, pretty big visual there, right in my mind there. Have you ever caught a whale before anybody? <laughs> I'm not sure you use a net, right? Um, But he says this, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It really is a profound statement and something that we look at today in light, if we look at that statement in light of today, uh, we recognize a crumbling of that foundation of morality based on a religion that finds its faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And again, the founding of our nation is complicated. There's certainly aspects of our nation that deserve the attention to address wrongs that have been committed. And at the same time, there is so much to celebrate in its founding. And there's a sense that we are now pressing against the very thing that John Adams had pointed out here in this, that the underpinnings of faith within our nation are crumbling. The pressures that our Christian faith continue to rise in the public sphere and uh, the results of this journey away from faith seem to be obvious from those uh, for whom faith is absolutely central to what we believe about Christ and really what we believe about our nation. So today we're going to solve all of the problems of the United States of America. (laughs) Not really. 
But part of this solution, right, for America is a recognition of something that has been experienced uh, since, uh, uh, well, in 1776, as a fledgling and loosely unified group of states, uh, we declared independence from Great Britain. We need to take a different path today, and I think that there's a different kind of statement and declaration needs to be made. And this is, this is it right here. We need to declare that we are independence upon Christ, right? We, we, this has to be the foundation for us if we as a nation are to survive, right? And if we as a people are to have ourselves in a position where God is first and foremost uh, within us right? So the reality is that we are also, even though we are independent Americans, you, do you realize just how unusual America was when it was founded? With the freedom that it was founded by and founded with uh, had really never been seen before. And now we take for granted the independence that we have and the way that we live our lives and the consumerism that we have, right, celebrates the fact that we are independent. Nobody can tell me what to do and nobody can tell me what to think. But the reality is, is even though we are independent Americans, we are part of a family that is beyond the color of our skin. It's beyond economic status. It's beyond our vocation. Um, when we are in Christ, the Bible says we are also members one of another. There's something about this family of God that supersedes any nation, supersedes uh, any uh, ethnic identity, any economic foundation, right? This family of God that we are a part of is something that we've got to be able to celebrate. Um, and so here's, you know, we're part of this kingdom of God, right? So I want you to turn to somebody and say, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Now turn to somebody else on the other side of you. If there's nobody off to the other side of you, you can look at the same person you just said that to and say, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Right? So we are a part of this incredible kingdom of God that supersedes any nation that we would identify. But do we act like we're part of the kingdom of God? Do we look like we're part of that kingdom of God? So as Jesus brings the Lord's Prayer to a close, and uh, we're going to get to this one final statement uh, today, and it shows up in some versions that we read, and it doesn't show up in other versions, right? And sometimes that can confuse us. It's not meant to confuse, but it's basically the behind the scenes what's going on is there are, there are different manuscripts that have it, and there are other manuscripts that don't have it. And so some versions choose to put it in, other versions choose to put it in, but all of them have a footnote or a little asterisk that says some manuscripts have this and some manuscripts don't. And uh, as we've done since the beginning of this series, I'm going to have a stand to our feet. Some of you have a measurable growth in your thighs because we've been doing squats every single week. So go ahead and stand to your feet. Boy, a lot of reluctance today to stand to your feet. What? You're like, this is a vacation weekend, pastor. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> All right. And uh, as we have done from, uh, from week to week, uh, we are going to be reading a version of the Lord's Prayer. And today, to close out... The Lord's Prayer, we're going to be reading the granddaddy version of all, the King James Version, all right? Now, many of you memorize the Lord's Prayer in King James, and so, at, and you've, you've let me know, by the way, that some of you do not like the versions that we have been reading on Sunday morning. Thank you for your emails. I appreciate them. And uh, you can see by my response to those emails, which was nothing, um, all right. Um, but today, I know some of you have been dying for us to read the Lord's Prayer 
from, uh, from the King James Version. So let us do this together this morning. It brings a lot of comfort. Here we go. And so repeat together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen, right? Amen. Good stuff. How many of you are glad I finally got around to the King James Version? All right, yeah, a few of you there. All right, good. You can go ahead and be seated. I encourage you, go read the message version and you'll see why we didn't repeat that as a, uh, as a group here today. All right, so here we go. So when we put together the Lord's Prayer in its totality, um, we will find that this is uh, not necessarily a prescription that this is the way you should pray and the only way that you should pray. But this becomes a model for us in our own prayer life. And so my encouragement to you is to take everything we've learned over the past 10 weeks or so that we've been in this uh, series and put it into action into your own life when you pray, hopefully on a daily basis, right? Uh, Paul says um, that we, uh, Paul says in uh, Thessalonians, I think, that we should pray without ceasing. We should never stop praying. And uh, this, uh, this model for prayer can really help us uh, when we get down, uh, down to this. All right, so what I want to do is I want to review each one of the phrases that we've been through. So if you've been here for the 10 weeks, we've gone through it, this is going to be review for you, nothing new. Others of you, you might have missed a week or two, or maybe this is your first time, and uh, so I'm just going to give you a real general overview of each one of the parts of the Lord's Prayer, and then as we uh, close out uh, with that last statement that we, uh, that we just read a moment ago. So it starts off with, our Father in heaven. Right, and uh, there are other people who uh, in faith, uh, you know, during the New Testament times had referred to God as Father, but there was something going on here when Jesus is referring uh, to God as our Father. He is giving us permission to reach out to this unbelievable, powerful, incredible, majestic God, and we can know this God. Right? Sometimes we think God is far off and he deserves our praise. He deserves all of our attention. He deserves the sense that he is transcendent above all else. And yet at the same time, Jesus gives us permission to refer to him as our father. There's an intimacy associated with that that I don't ever want us to uh, pass by. That we recognize him as our father, that, that there's this, this, this sense of relationship, but beyond that and more than that and on top of that, and in addition to being a father, he's not just intimate, but being a father, he is strong and powerful. Now, one of my jobs as a dad, as a father, is to protect my family, right? <laughs> Thank you, right? And so late at night, if somebody breaks in, I'm sick of my dog on that guy, right? No. So, right? I mean, there, there is a responsibility that I have as a dad, as a father to my children, to protect my children. That is one of the roles that I have. Somebody outside was happy. <laughs> right? That, that is a job that I have. And I believe that that's revealed that our father who is in heaven, this is the same job that he takes up 
for us, his own children. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to defend you. I am going to be right there by your side. This transcendent, imminent God uh, who's there with us. And, and really, this is um, uh, our Father who is a good, good Father. And we start this prayer with relationship with our Father in heaven. Then it quickly moves on there to, uh, you know, holy is your name. Uh, the other versions of it say, you know, may your name be kept holy. There's this idea of holiness that holiness is separate from. Holiness is something where, uh, where there is a division, right? There is a separateness be- between something that is holy and something that is unholy. Something that is holy and something that is mundane. Something of the world, something that is of God. There is a holiness and a separation. And there's an idea inherent in what is stated here in this prayer, right? May your name be kept holy. That there is um, there's this invitation that the Father, this intimate, loving, uh, holy, loving Father, right? That he gives to us to participate in his holiness. He calls us his holy people. And so we should live holy lives. We should live lives that are honoring to our Father who is in heaven. And that means at times that the way that we live our life is going to come in conflict with the way that the world lives its life. And yet we are responsible for living a holy life because when we live a holy life, what begins to be revealed in us is this same holy God who has called us to live a holy life. All of a sudden, God is revealed in the way that we live our lives When we are separate from the world, right? Because holiness demands separation. And yet the biggest picture that we have that God has given to us is that we are through our holy lives designed by God to reveal him to a world that is broken. And so we're not so separate from the world that the world doesn't know who we are, but we are separate from the way that we live our lives. And in living our lives, eventually those people around us see Jesus within us as we make his name holy. Then it goes on, it says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're confronted with the same battle that John Adams was alluding to over 200 years ago. The foundations, right, of the world around us, of our nation around us, there is a crumbling that has happened. Now, I am a child of the 70s. I was born in 1970, right? So I was born to, so I mean, I'm probably more a child of the 80s, which has the greatest music ever. Thank you to like the two of you. I appreciate that. I mean, Duran Duran, Flock of Seagulls. I mean, when else would you have a title like that? So. Right, so, uh, so growing up in, in this world in the 70s and the 80s, this is a very different America. It, it just there is, there's just some fundamental changes and differences within our nation. Some of them incredibly good, by the way, <laughs> right? Some of them a little bit difficult. And yet John Adams was feeling the same thing just 22 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, he has to reassert and say, this constitution is not going to work unless there is a foundation of morality and a religious nature to the commitment that we make one to another and to our God. There's a conflict in the kingdoms. We feel it today, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. 
right? And that, that battle that happens around us, the values of the kingdom of the world, I believe, will, shown, will, will be shown to be bankrupt. The values of the kingdom of this world will show to be divisive. The values of the kingdom of this world will show to be built on shifting sand. But the values of the kingdom of God become that rock that Jesus talked about, right? That rock that we build upon, and though the storms come, we will not be shaken. But the thing is, there will be friction points. And we've talked about this before. There, there will be friction points. There, there, there will be perhaps a day when the public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ uh, here in America will be canceled, we know that that's a possibility. There are, there are countries that we can name where that is an impossibility. You cannot publicly share Christ. It seems so far off for America, and yet we know that that's a possibility. And let's just play out the worst-case scenario. Right? Let's just say that a law is passed that now makes it a crime to declare publicly faith in Jesus Christ. Does that stop the church from being the church? No, right? Just because we, we're on Facebook or on YouTube or on other platforms, being able to proclaim publicly on social media and proclaiming here freely, there is so much more to the church than this particular part of the church. And all of a sudden, what we find out is historically, the church under persecution is actually stronger. Now, I'm not inviting persecution, <laughs> Right? Please come persecute us. It's awesome. <laughs> we would love it. Right? That's not at all the point. But if you look historically at the church in times of persecution, that's when the church is the strongest. When the church is in ascendancy, that's when the church becomes the weakest over time. And so we know these friction points that are out there as kingdom battles kingdom. We pray that God's kingdom and his will to be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. And I love that part of this prayer that Jesus gives uh, here in the Lord's Prayer uh, because we are on strong ground when we pray that because God is not weak and I believe that he will answer this prayer. And then it goes on, give us this day our daily bread. So we turn to the needs that we have, the very real present needs uh, that are going on in our life. A number of weeks ago, I know I alluded to this last week, but a number of weeks ago when we went through this the first time, had all of you fill out like little cards and they had, had on there, this is my request for my daily bread. This is what's going on right now in my life. And then I loved the step of faith and the trust that it took for you to step out of your chair, right? And to come down to the front. It's like every step you're saying, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I trust you with meeting the needs that I have on a daily basis, my daily bread that I need. Included in there were prayers and cries, God, I need help with my mental health. God, I need help with addiction. God, I've got family members that don't know you in Jesus. We need to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, my family is being torn apart by the world around me. Family's being torn apart by inner, um, uh, the, the anger towards one another. God, we need to see healing take place in prayer after prayer after prayer. In every one of these needs, Really, it's trust putting into the hands of the Father. And that is beautiful, right? And that's the best place for us to put our needs is in the hands of this incredibly powerful, loving, intimate Father.
Then it goes on to forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And uh, forgiveness is tough. It's gritty. Um, it is a necessary part of our relationship with God, though. And I, I continue to receive a few text messages and emails from those of you who are, I mean, this whole forgiveness thing has been something of a journey for you, and it's beautiful to see God unfold healing in the process. And it's tough. This is one of those things where you look at times and you go, I know I should do this. I know that I should forgive other people. I know that I should seek forgiveness for my attitude. I know I should do this, but it is so hard to do. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says this, and I, I like this. It says, put aside all bitterness. Put aside losing your temper. I should have like, everybody stand if this hits home with you. <laughs> no. All right, put aside all bitterness. Put aside losing your temper. That'd be a fun experiment. Uh, put aside losing your temper. Put aside anger. Put aside shouting. Put aside slander along with every evil. All right, so put aside. These are the things that you should do. Put all those things aside. And then Paul writes, he says, be kind. Be compassionate. And be forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. We forgive because Christ first forgave us. It's a tough journey, folks. And remember, this is the only, only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives a little bit of commentary on and of just how important it is for us to forgive. And remember the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In that moment, he's forgiving those who are actually doing the crucifying. He's forgiving those who created the atmosphere and the environment by which he was crucified, the religious leaders of the day that kind of opened that door. Um, I mean, he is even probably looking all the way to us. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, forgive us. Help us to forgive those who sinned against us. Help us, Lord, to seek forgiveness from those against whom we have sinned, right? God wants us to have forgiveness in our lives. And the final part of this uh, here before we get to the very end statement is lead us in our difficult trials, right? The don't lead us to temptation. Lead us in our difficult trials and deliver us from the evil one. We will face times of testing of our faith. Right, last week we talked about this, the testing of our faith. How many of you this last week faced a testing of your faith? I'm, aren't you glad you listened to last week's message? <laughs> You're like, because we talked about, I told you, because we talked about this and because you made commitments in those moments, we're guaranteed to face testing in our life. It always happens. Those things, as soon as you take a step forward in Christ, the enemy's like, no, 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 I'm gonna try to stop you. But that's why we pray, deliver us from the evil one. The real enemy we have is not flesh and blood around us. But as Paul says in Ephesians 6, we, are, we aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Right? That's, that should be the focus of the fight that we have. If we get this right... If we take steps in this direction in the Lord's Prayer, we will fir stand firmly in the faith, unshaken, and we will grow in our faith. And those of you who raised your hand just a moment ago in facing either a temptation or trial or what you're walking through, right? God put those in our life to make us stronger, not to reveal weakness. 
And so stand firm upon the promises that God has given us, right? Okay, then the last part of this I love because even when we read this just a few moments ago, I don't know if you caught it, it was pretty subtle, but it was there. As we get to this end, for thine is the kingdom and the, and the power and the glory forever, right? When we get to that, that end part there, when we're reading it together, there was just a little bit of volume raised. I don't know if you caught it, just a little bit there. Because in that moment of praise, because that's what that is, there's this sense of turning back to the Father in heaven there comes a confidence in our lives that is undeniable. Because when we realize it's not about us, it's not about me doing this in my own strength, because I'm going to fail. But we return it to him. It says, you know, this returns to our reliance upon the Father. It returns us to the reality that it, this is all about Jesus anyway. It evokes praise from us, moving us towards faith. It puts a focus on the fact that all of this is his anyway. And all that we do is we live by faith. We live by faith, trusting in the Son of God. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out this morning. And then also bow your heads for just a moment. So you're here this morning and uh, you would say, Pastor, where do I start? How, how, how does all of this become a reality for me? I, I hear what you're saying and that sounds wonderful, but where does, where does all this begin? It starts with that first phrase that Jesus prays, our Father. All of this re relies on a relationship with the Father who is in heaven. And that relationship comes from Jesus Christ. It's not by works. It's not trying to impress God, right? That it's not, not by doing enough so that he loves you. God the Father already loves you. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you. And this is where it all starts. And so you would say, Pastor, I don't have that relationship with the Father that I know I should have I know I need Jesus in my life. And you'd say, Pastor, I know I've got to start there. Can I encourage you just with a lifting of your hand, just say, yeah, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me. I'm in that position. I need that relationship with the Father. I need that. I need Jesus to guide me closer to him. Father, you see every one of these hands that have been raised. God, I'm so grateful for every one of them. So grateful, God, that you are beginning a journey with some of them. God, you are, uh, th there's a recommitment happening in others. And Lord, I am grateful for it. I'm gonna invite everybody who raised your hand and everybody who didn't raise your hand, uh, just would you join me in, uh, in repeating just a very, very simple prayer. It's not a magic prayer, nothing like that, but I just wanna help you in this initial prayer of dedication to Jesus. And so everybody repeat after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to save me from my sins. Jesus, thank you for giving me new life. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Jesus, thank you for changing me, for bringing me to the Father and for loving me. And Jesus, thank you for returning one day for me in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's, let's uh, give a hand to those who made a decision for Christ this morning. 
So here's the thing. In the seat back in front of you is that same card we have. If you're a guest, you can fill that out. You can still, by the way, if you're a guest, fill that out for us. Uh, but if you made a decision for Christ today, uh, you can take that card and you can fill it out and just mark on there, first time decision for Christ or, or rededication or just make a note at the bottom. We would love to follow up with you and help you uh, in this journey uh, as uh, really for this decision that you're making for Jesus. And in closing, here's what I would like. And you can uh, give that to one of the ushers or take it out to our guest, uh, guest uh, table out in the lobby. And here's how I wanted to end uh, today. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This is one that we're familiar with. It's one that I think many of us claim and hold on to uh, as, uh, you know, if you've been around the church for a while and something for our nation. But let me go ahead and read this uh, to you. And it says, when I close this, and this is God speaking, when I close the sky so there's no rain, or I order the locusts to consume the land, or I send a plague against my people. And this is the part we're most familiar with. If my people who belong to me will humbly pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Folks, this is a promise that we have from our Father who is in heaven. And I want you to notice one thing that it's in there. It says, you know, if my people will vote for the right candidate, right? If my people will put their trust in a, in a political answer to the problems within our nation. That's not it. It hasn't been, it is not now, it will not be in the future that we find an answer in politics, right? Now, we can be passionate about politics. There's nothing wrong with that. I know uh, somebody, one of, somebody from here is running for uh, West Valley uh, City Council at large. Fantastic. I love that, right? We need that kind of influence. But the answer is not in politics. It's not there here if my people will pray humble themselves seek my face turn from wicked ways right isn't all of that part of the Lord's prayer I mean it really is genuinely a part of that then it says then I will hear from heaven I'm going to respond God says I will forgive and I will heal Folks, this is the God we turn to in our time of need. Right? We don't turn to Facebook and express all of our dissatisfaction and displeasure with current administration policies, right? Although you might be very opinionated. Right? We turn to pray. And we might miss that if we're not careful. And so I want to challenge you to take the Lord's Prayer break it down for yourself, right? Every single, you know, each day of the week, make it a different part of the Lord's prayer, whatever it is. But in your prayer time, when you pray for yourself, please pray for our country. Please ask that God's righteousness would be found again at the very foundation and fabric of our nation right? That God would reveal the areas of our nation that need to be uh, pushed up against, right? Because there certainly are. Our nation hasn't done everything right. The areas where there needs to be reconciliation, let it happen, God. 
Other areas, God, let it be that righteousness is on display. And so let's pray for our nation just really quickly here at the end. We're not going to take enough time, I'm sure, to pray for our nation, all the needs, but let's pray for our nation. So Father God, we do uh, echo this prayer that's found in the book of Second Chronicles, that God, we would be a people that humbly pray, that God, we would seek your face, God, that we would turn from our wicked ways, and God, we recognize that you will hear from heaven. You'll forgive us our sins. And that, Lord, you will heal our land. God, our nation, from our perspective, God is in truly, uh, is in deep need of healing. And Father, we pray that you would bring healing to our nation as your righteousness is on display through your people. That, God, we as a church, that, God, we would not back down from living holy lives that reveal a loving and powerful God. And so, Lord, we do pray, our Father who's in heaven, that, Lord, your name would be made holy, that, Lord, your kingdom would come, your will would be done that, God, you would meet every need that we have, the, the needs that seem to overwhelm us, that, God, you would move supernaturally in our families, in our workplaces, in us as individuals, and, God, within our nation. Father, that we would be a people of forgiveness, that, God, we would seek forgiveness from you, we would forgive others, and we ourselves would ask for forgiveness where that's needed. Father, that you would deliver us from evil. You'd protect us in our times of trials and temptations. Because, God, this is all yours anyway. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise. I pray your blessing upon your people. As we leave from here, God, help us to live lives honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Do not forget, please don't forget, we got lots of ice cream out in our courtyard. So if you make your way out the front doors here, parents, go grab your kids and then take them out. Well, no, parents, don't grab your kids. Go get ice cream first. No, <laughs> go grab your kids, get some ice cream out in the courtyard. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. See you next week.